Mm. And back then you also had the Dash for Cash as well as a privateer and all those type of events. Do you reckon supercars, even though it's very, very different and monetized these days, do you reckon they could bring in, if it was done differently, like a Speedway type of event? Well, or not that's, really? a, that's the biggest problem with all racing now and with supercars. Mm. You know, a lot of people have forgotten what are the most important parts of a race, mm. the start and the finish. Mm. So they go and run all these 250k races that are just boring mm. because everything in the middle of it is nothing. Yeah. Whereas in the older days when we used to start the, the mixed up grids where the cars were wider, you know, like they'd be four wide on the grid mm. and that race at the start, it, you could gain a lot of spots off the start because the last car was closer to the front Yeah. and you could wheel your way through there. A little bit more dangerous but not really because... The speeds, if a car stalled on the grid, the cars weren't coming from as far back, they weren't going as fast. Mm. But it was much more action-packed. You'd have like at Amaru where you'd have sort of a, a five-lapper, mm. a ten-lapper and then a fifteen-lapper. Mm. Much more exciting day. You've got three race starts versus one. Mm. You know, where's all the action? It's all at the start and the finish. Yeah. But when you run these great big long races and the drivers have got to be super fit, the cars wear out, they cost more money because you're doing all these extra Ks. Mm. And then there's error to the shithouse to make it even more hard yep. to pass. Yeah, yep. so, you know, shorter races, more of them, more action. Yeah, that's what exactly what I have been saying. Yes. <laughs> I keep saying that to Dan. I said we're also living in a... We would like to thank our major sponsor, Thrifty Car Rental. If you're looking for a great deal on your next car rental for an upcoming trip, check out their website for the latest offers. You can find all the links in our show notes. Go, go, go! Are you doing it? He's in! That's a massive crash. And it's happened immediately! This is amazing! Big shot, big shot, and it's lights out, and away we go! G'day, I'm Dan Hawley Hollihan, and welcome to my motorsports podcast up on the Couch with Hawley Season 2, which is more than just a motorsports podcast. My guests are from all sides of the track, errors and personalities. You will meet some who have spent their careers chasing the dream to those who have only just touched on it and went on to aspiring journeys. We learn their stories beyond the helmet. On today's episode, we've got Gary and Braden Wilmington. Gary is an Australian touring car legend who's loved motorsports since he was a kid. Gary has an incredible motorsports career, having competed in 21 Bathurst 1000s as a privateer. His son Braden has followed in his father's footsteps racing in 410 sprint cars, Speed Cars, S5000s, and the Australian TCR Championship. Braden loves his Speedway, with his father being his biggest supporter. On this podcast, you'll hear the boys discuss what it's like being a privateer at the highest level under the ARG banner. And we also chat about if Wakefield Park can be saved, and much more. Well, that's enough from me, so let's get into it with the Wilmingtons. We've got Gary and Braden Wilmington here today. Boys, where have you been, and what's been up getting here? Oh, it's a... Yeah, it's a... Not too bad of a drive. It's not too long, but um, yeah, we we don't get up this way that often for anything other than coming and gathering parts for race cars and that sort of stuff. So we try and make a trip out of it. Yeah, Gary, what's the plan with Braden coming up? Obviously, you guys have been travelling as you just mentioned. So what's the what's the what was the go to the trip to Homebush? Yeah, no, we're just getting some stuff. We're going to do a bit of speedway racing and stuff over the next couple of months, and. Um, Keep that side of things going. Yeah, a little yep. bit more, um, bit more bang for your buck than uh, road racing. Yeah, yeah. Why do you guys like speedway racing more than the road racing? As you said, like, what's the difference? Do you get more enjoyment out of it, or 
What's the go? More enjoyment. It's a lot cheaper, like a lot cheaper. Yeah. And um, you can make money out of it. Yeah. Yeah, they actually, you actually get, you can actually get paid to race instead of paying to race. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. I've done forever, but still. Yeah. But as I keep saying to Braden, you know, I used to get tow money back in the 70s and now you get nothing for road racing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Can you actually can you actually explain on that, Gary, like the, the tow racing, the money back then to what it is now? Oh, yeah. If we were going to like Lakeside or Surface Paradise International, um, we'd get 500 bucks tow money. Yeah, right. In the, in the 70s. And that was to enter into the race, was it? Or was that was it- just to go up there and race. And if you, um, if you started the... The main race of the day, you got your five hundred bucks. Yeah, right. If you started your main race of the day, yep, yeah, that's all you, you had to do. Yeah, right. And to be out on the grid for your first for the main race, like, yeah. and that was it, and you'd get the five hundred bucks. Yeah, right. Braden, for you, when you first started, obviously your dad's had a highlight of career, which we'll touch on. Yep. Um, for you, when you when you're a youngster, watching your dad, like, obviously be the head of Wakefield Park and stuff like that. Did you ever do any go-karting or just straight to dirt racing? Um, straight to dirt racing. I started racing when I was a lot older than what I probably should have started. But, um, yeah, I was uh, – my first real taste of racing was a junior sedan when I was 13 and we went to – we went interstate to race that because in New South Wales they had a rule where you couldn't race junior sedans until you were 14 – but nationally you could race from 10 mm. and uh, I found that out when I was 13. Yeah. So we ended up getting a little Datsun Sunny junior sedan and my first season of racing was travelling backwards and forwards to Victoria most weekends, so it was really good. Yeah, right. Gary, for you though, with, with obviously Braden when he was starting the junior sedans, did you work on the cars nonstop and did you ever want him in go-karts or anything like that or was it just the Speedway route, what kind well, of you did back in the day? No, no, well he always loved Speedway. Mm. He did... I mean, he never raced go-karts, but he did do a lot of laps around Wakefield Park behind quads and things when he was basically very, very young. Mm. Um, and he'd do laps around there in, in go-karts. Yeah. But uh, but he never ever raced them. But no, no, we did uh, – and he worked on them too, like the, the Datsuns and stuff that we did for his junior sedans, we put a lot of work into yeah, right. Yeah. And Gary, for you, how did you fall in love with motorsport? Like what was the first tipping point for you when you were a youngster? Oh, I used to go to <clears throat> Liverpool Speedway every night it was on back in the from the 60s. Mm. Um, from very young age, my brother used to take me before I ever got my licence or anything else, I'd go to Liverpool Speedway and I always loved the super modifieds and the sedan cars and things. I, I loved Speedway. Mm. I very nearly raced sprint cars instead of touring cars. It was a big toss-up to which way I'd go. Yeah, right. Yeah. And why did you choose the, the touring car thing though? Oh, I just um, always just loved Bathurst and just was just wanted to race at Bathurst no matter what, you know. Yep. So that was uh, – Yep. And Braden, for you, what was your first memory as a kid for motorsport? Obviously your dad was heavily involved as we've said. But for you, do you remember like a specific moment that you were just interested in that like, I just want to do what dad's done? Yeah, pretty much all the days I used to spend a lot of time at Wakefield before I went to school and uh, just being involved in race meetings from a very young age has always just, yeah, it's always been what I've wanted to do. Yeah. And then even when I went to school, um, I'd, I'd always sort of every time when he was running the AMRS and the IRS later on, I'd take days off school to go and hang out in the control tower at Eastern Creek and 
basically be on the radio and do things like that. So it was, yeah, it was always good fun. And I always loved motorsport and it's always everything that I've always wanted to do. Yeah. All right. And Gary, obviously back then you obviously were going to, you said you were going to touch on the sprint cars, but decide to go the touring car route was, was for you, your first racing was, it was on speedway, wasn't it? Was it no, on no. speedway? No, it wasn't. <clears throat> no, no, I raced a, um, a Ford Anglia. The first race I ever did sort of back in 1970 was at Amaru Hill Climb in a Ford Anglia, which I rolled it on the second corner of the second run. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember much about obviously preparing that car back in the day or anything? Any stories to that? that oh, I remember what? everything about it. It's oh. like, like it was yesterday. Absolutely. <laughs> you can definitely touch on it on the podcast. You can get it. Yeah. You can tell us about it. So Yeah, what? no, well, you know, I just went and bought a little old Anglia that was absolute just a bucket of bolts, you know, and and I rebuilt it all and put a um, Cortina engine in it and Weber's on it and all that sort of stuff, just totally rebuilt the car. Yeah. I had two Anglias before I um, before I bought the ex Goss car, but I had um, I had the Anglia, I raced the first one, then I built the second one, which is a better car again, and uh, raced that a few times then pulled the engine out of it, cut it all out and put a 289 Ford V8 in it mm. but never got to race it with that in it. I ended up selling that, got a uh, burnt-out XA two-door shell and I was building up a sports sedan and then uh, Gossie had won Bathurst in 74 in the Falcon and then I went and traded the burnt-out shell in, traded the uh, GT Falcon road car I had, everything on the... Gossie's old two-door Falcon at McLeod Ford and yep. got herself a custom credit loan with huge interest rates and was paying off a loan that was nearly my weekly wage. Yeah, right. To um, And then we had to find the money to run it. So it was a it was a task, believe me. It was yep. unbelievable, but we made it happen. Yeah. And, Braden, for you, well, obviously this is very tricky, this podcast, because I got very old, young and old, so I'm trying to go between the two here. Yep. So, Braden, for you, you did the, obviously the sports – not the sports sedans, I just said sedans, the yep. junior sedans yep. and Speedway, <laughs> and then you did – did you do midgets after that? Was that the next step? My or? next step from junior sedans was I did a couple of races in a legend car, mm-hmm. um, and then I went to midgets and did two years in those and then went to sprint cars. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I still I still enjoy midgets far more than sprint cars. It's yeah. a lot more a lot more fun. The racing's a lot better, and again, it's a little cheaper. <laughs> Can you explain it? The listeners at home why you prefer the midgets to the sprint cars, even though the sprint cars are the spectacular thing on on the track. They are the sprint cars are fast. They're exciting, um, but the racing is not as good. You've mm. got the you've got the aero. You've got the wing, which makes it harder to pass. You go and watch a midget race, like all the. Old Parramatta shows, it used to be, it didn't matter uh, if it was just a regular club night, every feature race was fastest to the rear. Yeah. And the guys at the back usually always still come through and won it. And it was, it's it's always exciting. It's really uh, elbows up racing. They're, they're a lot more fun to drive. They're a lot more of a physical car. You got to throw them around. You move around on the track a lot more. It's, um, yeah, midget racing and non-wing sprint car racing is my favorite out of everything. Yeah. And your dad obviously was heavily. You loved Gary. You loved the the speedway scene, didn't you? Oh so. yeah, I loved I loved the speedway. Um, 
More I so, didn't like the yeah. midgets so much. I'm more into sprint cars. I always said to him, well, I'll, I'll help you with whatever you race as long as it's not a midget. But, yeah, but I want to race a midget. I said, yeah, but they're too dangerous, you know. And yeah. Rah, 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 which they are, but he's bloody good in them and he, and he loves them, you know. Yeah, and why are they dangerous for the listeners who aren't involved in Speedway? Can you explain to the listeners that? A lot of people think it's because they don't have a wing and the wing does act as a cushion in a rollover, but if you set the whole car up, you run a tall cage, you run all sorts of different stuff um, just to, like, you have your seat so that you're four inches from the top of the cage and so the diff can't hit the seat. Mm. And then once you've got it set up like that, you're pretty well safe. Yeah, yeah. And Gary, you were saying before with your, you were going to go sprint cars before you went touring cars. Yeah. Did you actually ever go of the sprint cars before you got into the, to the tar scene? Or not really? Or was it just the no, toss-up at the time? That I, was when I, I had my own super modified type car that I built when I was, I don't know, about 12 years old. Mm. I built it at a Holden motor in it and I built it and I built my own speedway track um, at Luddenham across the road from where I had the workshop from where on because we had a dairy farm and it was on the actual dairy farm. Mm. So I had my own speedway track from when I was 12 years old. So I used to charge around there in my own home-built speedway cars. So Yeah, right. But I never got to actually drive a, a sprint car till one night at Parramatta in 1988. I actually got to drive a sprint car in a... In 1988? Yeah. And yeah. I said, yeah, I was at Parramatta one night because I've always loved the speedway and always gone. Mm. And he said, do you want to have a drive in the sprint car? And I said, hell yeah. So <laughs> uh, I was straight in it yeah. and had a drive and, and loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely love them. Yeah, you grew up, so you grew up in London, Ludnam, yeah. Londonman. There yeah. you go. I'm pretty bad with with um <laughs> yeah. with geography. Sort of geography. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, with, with the farm and and obviously you're building out your spear track. Can you explain when you were a young kid, Gary? Like you know, cap building that farm and building the speedway track. When you were, can you you know tell tell some stories on that? Well, we had my family had farms at Ludnam for forever, mm. um, and we had my dad had the dairy farm, so we had to milk cows in the morning and the afternoon and all the rest of that stuff. But because we had fairly big acreage, it was pretty easy. We didn't have a grader or anything, so I actually built my own grader blade to put on the tractor to actually build the speedway. Yeah, when right. I was twelve years old, so I I I did all that. That was the first track I ever built, and um, yeah, then I'd just build all these cars and drive around the paddock, and I'd constantly fight with my old man because he's going to kill yourself in these cars because <laughs> I used to drive like an absolute maniac and he'd reckon that I was going to get killed in them, but yeah. luckily I never did. Yeah, and so, then you went from there. Yeah. Yeah, and can you remember your first, obviously, did you, because it says on the internet, like it's a bit odd because the internet's a bit off with their statistics sometimes, but it says, Gary, that you raced, like your first meeting was Bathurst. Is that correct though, like your first official event or was it? No. Before? No, Okay. Good. No, I raced at Amaru and Oran Park yep. and all that. And then um, my first race at Bathurst wasn't until 1978. Mm. Um, I entered in uh, 75 and Ivan Stibbard knocked my entry back. Yeah, what? That I, what did wasn't, not- I didn't have enough money to race at Bathurst. And again in 76, again in 77, I entered again, got knocked back again. And then in 78, um, I'd built a brand new car and they accepted my entry. Yeah, right. But the first three years that I entered Bathurst, they knocked my entry back because they said that they didn't believe I had enough money to race there. 
Yeah, right. So there's as much, oh, there was, there's pretty much as much politics as there are now than there was then. Is that what you're kind of saying? There was plenty of politics then too. Don't don't worry about that. <laughs> plenty of it. Can you can you exaggerate on those those times back then though? Because you're obviously working hard to get a car on the grid, and you were known for your privateer days. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened back then? Oh well, you know, we'd work real hard, and you'd, you know, even back in those days, you'd you could you could get money on um, drink bottles. And I'd walk around the streets getting um, money for drink, collecting drink bottles and cashing them in to get money to to help with my racing and, mm. you know, mowing people's lawns, working at telephone exchanges at night, uh, carting hay in out of paddocks at night to get money, like the things that you had to do. Mm. It was seven days a week and a lot of hours a day, you know. There's lots of days in my life where you'd have three or four hours sleep and be out at the next job getting money just so you could go motor racing. You just had to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, otherwise you weren't racing. Yeah. And then you'd, um, you know, you'd enter an event and then you get your entry knocked back. It was pretty, uh, it was pretty disappointing. But in hindsight, probably they were right. I mm. really didn't have the money, but I would have got there and I would have made it happen because my entire life has been about making things happen and it hasn't stopped. <laughs> so well, you made Maroolan happen and Wakefield Park to a degree too. You looked after that place for a while, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I was there for nearly ten years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What is your thoughts? Obviously, we were talking about this at the track a while ago, and we when I said, "Oh, boys, come on my podcast," and I was I was saying this, like, "What's your thoughts on the whole Wakefield situation now?" Like, Gary, you were full into helping that track progress from '94 onwards. Really, was it '94? Uh, was it early two thousand? Um, no, well, when it started, um, early 2000 was when I got involved and went there and managed it. Mm. And then we um, we changed it all. We changed the track, changed the layout and made it more user-friendly so that you could actually drive um, powerful cars around it better. And, and it was still, we didn't make it a power track so the little cars wouldn't work. Mm. We had it so that if you had a little Ford Escort, or you had a big sports sedan, they'd both still work. And I believe to this day mm. Wakefield track is still like that. You can run a, a big powerful car or a little underpowered car and still be competitive with each other there. But, I mean, I loved the place and um, and still do mm. and uh, hopefully very soon it'll be all up and running again. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's the plan. Yeah. 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 Right. Braden, for you though, as Dave was saying about Wakefield Park, you yep. said the go-kart and stuff like that. Do you have any like main, any memories about the track while it's shut? Um, yeah. A lot of the memories I actually have of it are pretty recent because my first actual day of driving around Wakefield would have been what, 2017 or 18, mm. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. So my first race at Wakefield was 2019. Yeah, right. Yeah, in a legend car. And, um, yeah, I, I haven't done a lot of driving around there, but I've been there a lot and I spent quite a few years just running around everywhere and yeah. doing everything. Yeah, you boys are helping on – is it your girlfriend's Hyundai XL? Is that yeah. where you both – hang on, do you have two XLs or one? Um, she's got her XL in Adelaide and then I've been slowly building mine over <laughs> here for the last, I don't know, five or six years. I've been, I've been slowly putting one together. Yeah. I got it nearly ready to go, but then they changed to the control suspension that I just sort of haven't had the money to put that in it yet. So yeah. it's just sort of sat on the back foot a little bit. We've run it at Maroolan in their 
XL series that they do over there. Mm. It's a good little car. Yeah. Talking about Marulan, yeah, I I went there one time with Timmy Buell ages ago, buzzing yep. around the track when you boys were on the track. Um, that was was that your backyard? I, I don't actually know the whole story. Can you actually explain a bit about the whole Marulan thing to get it out there when you Pretty guys much, owned yeah. it? And yeah, well, it what what happened was because um, Tony Parrish kept saying he was closing Oran Park down, and that was it. That was it. And I knew because I knew what Tony was like. I knew he'd never build another track. Mm. So. Um, I thought somebody's got to replace Oran Park or it's not going to happen. Mm. So that's why in 992 um, we bought that property in Maroolan and started building the track mm. uh, and just slowly kept building it and building it and building it. You know, I'd been on the phone to Bruce Keys from CAMS and talking to him the whole way through it, making sure that I'd be able to get it passed as a racetrack when, it, um, when I had it finished. Mm. And then... Yeah, it was in our – then when I went down to run Wakefield, we moved down and built a brand new house down there then in 2000 mm. and then drove each day to Wakefield and back. But I was still just behind the scenes building that track slowly in the background so that when Oran Park shut, I'd have that sort of ready to open so that there would be another track at least in New South Wales mm. and we wouldn't lose it completely but – you know, it was my long-term plan from a long way back was to build a, another racetrack yeah, yeah. in New South Wales. So. Yeah, Brooke had some interesting points actually when, we, when before you guys were coming to the studio. Brooke, what were you, what were you saying about obviously his, his car racing career and stuff like that that you found interesting? Um, well, I think we'll just talk because well, we're on Wakefield at the moment. You mentioned, um, well, we saw online in one of your interviews and that, there was things about, because as you said, you took over Wakefield for um, over like up to a decade. Yeah. And there were things not just on the track you wanted to improve, but off the track, which we found interesting. And it was things that you'd said that you wanted like for everyone to be able to actually enjoy the event, which was, the, you know, the clean toilets, yep. places for the families, et cetera, and to run. And you did quite a great job of that over at Wakefield. Well, how do you find now with the tracks that we're kind of now what we're saying left with if we hopefully Wakefield stays there. Yeah. But do you see that what you worked hard for there is at SMP now and other tracks or is that something do you feel like they need to really be working on? They could still work on it. I mean our main aim at Wakefield and um, and like my wife was there as well and she, you know, used to put flowers in the toilets and do all that sort of stuff. And we used to make sure the toilets were clean because, unfortunately, Oran Park's toilets and Calder's toilets and every track we went to around the country, the toilets were a disgrace. So we wanted to have them good and that's especially when we built Maroolan, you know, we tiled the floors in the toilets and we tried to make it as user-friendly as we could. And the other big thing at Wakefield and at Maroolan, I mean, they don't have food at Maroolan anymore, but we spent a lot of money on the cafe and stuff to make sure that it would be open every day that you'd get good food and good drinks at a reasonable price because we always reckoned that, you know, after years and years of travelling around the country to all these different tracks, you'd either it'd be crap food and you'd be paying a fortune for it um, or there'd be no food um, and all these different things. And, like, for years you'd go in at the gate, there'd always be a drama going to a race meeting at the gate trying to get in, ticketing would be a problem and you'd be having fights, and this was from the 70s right through. Yeah. There'd always be a drama at the gate. You wouldn't have enough tickets for your people or whatever. So we always, at, especially at Wakefield, 
really concentrated, my main aim was to make sure that when the competitors turned up in the morning, they'd be comfortable, they'd be able to get in the gate without argument and that, you know, you'd be able to go through scrutineering without people jumping up and down and fighting. You'd still have everything could be safe, everything could be legal, but you wouldn't have that arrogance. We'd try to get rid of the arrogance out of motor racing mm. and um, and make it a friendly family type business thing rather than people yelling and screaming and saying you've got to do this and you've got to do that because that used to really annoy me. And, I mean, the first uh, Konica V8 supercar thing we did at, at um, Wakefield, at Wakefield yep. I was really proud of the fact that I got a three-page letter from Gary Rogers a couple of days after the event mm. and said this is the best race meeting I've ever been to. Everyone's friendly. Everything was easy from coming through the front gate and I just thought – He's experienced what I've experienced over all those years of just going through torture to get to your bloody before you even sat in the car. Mm. Um, and that was their main aim was to make that easy. So it was very good getting that letter from from Gary Gary Rogers, which I've still got at home, you know, that, yeah. that, that raved on for three pages about how happy he was with going and running at that event because we made it easy for him. I yeah. think you're 100% achieved and it's still carried through. Like the times yeah. I've been there the last two years with Dan, like I said to Dan, you notice the clean toilets. That's the first thing. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And the food, I come from, um, an, or like, a, like a, I've got a lot of illnesses and that, so I've got to be careful what I eat. And I said to Dan, I go to SMP and I, I've got to bring all my own food or I'm going to starve. But I went to um, Wakefield and they're like, no, no, what, what do you need? We can make it all, prepare it all, and it's all great yeah. food, everything. Just getting in and out of the track, like you said, there's no argument. We're in and out. Yeah. Dan's calm. We've been a few times to SP. Dan is not calm because <laughs> yeah. the drivers are struggling to get through and they're the ones racing. Um, so, and as you know, as well, David, and you're like, what? <laughs> um, I think it's a huge difference the experience we've felt at Wakefield um, compared to some other tracks. And I think, yeah, I hopefully we don't see it go because you've made a big difference there. Like, that's really shown. Yeah. 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 Gary, yeah. So you, you were saying you got a letter from Gary Rogers. You used to race back in the day, didn't you? Did oh, I raced did... against Gary heaps. Yeah, 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 yeah. heaps of races in, yeah. in sports sedans and in the touring cars when he was racing forever, like yeah. I have been. Yeah. yeah. Can you explain your rivals on the track? Like, obviously, I'm going to ask Braden eventually his <laughs> his rivals, but we'll go with yours first. Did you actually have any rivalries back then with Rogers, Dick Johnson, anyone anyone that came to mind that you had a good like Biff and Barge that you still mates with now? Do you know what I mean? Oh, well, me and Alan Moffat had quite a few. Um, Dealings, but I mean, but then on the other end, Alan Moffat helped me a lot too mm. over the years of the Falcon years. He helped me a lot, um, but in the Mazda years, he didn't because I mean, I hated the Mazdas with a massive passion because I reckon they shouldn't have even been there racing against their V8 touring cars because they, yeah. they were a sports car, not a touring car, in my opinion. Mm. But um, yeah, we had a few run ins on the track with. Um, Alan Moffat, but most of the rest of the time was all pretty good. We we're all sort of back in the day, we we're all pretty good mates. Like if you broke an axle and like Dick Johnson, Alan Moffat, mm. Freddie Gibson helped me a lot in the early days, in the very early days. Um, there's so many people in motorsport that used to help each other out, you know. You'd you'd break something on your car and they'd they just give you the parts, you know. They'd say, yeah. "Oh, you know, that's all right. You can have that," and and away you go. And it was it was good. But no, there was no there was no real rivals that you know that we sort of hated that you couldn't get along with. Mm. It was um, 
a very exciting, very good days yeah. back in the old days because, like I said, you needed something, you'd go and ask and it was the same with us. You know, we always had parts and things even though we didn't have much money. We'd scrounge things and have parts, so. Yeah. Do you even, feel that's the same now, like it, that people help each other? We've seen that in some of the categories, but do you feel like the, what you're racing in and what you've seen people like from V8s and that where you've come from, there's the same level of helping out, like as you've mentioned? Uh, not not like it used to be. It's different. I mean, we needed a little part for the TCR car at Eastern Creek and we ran around and and um, I think Melbourne Performance Centre ended up having the part that we wanted. Or, yeah. 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 And they, they gave us the part we needed for that. It was only a little part but mm-hmm. it was still – it helped us big time. So they did help us. They didn't say, no, we don't have it. You know, they actually went and looked for the part and they didn't need to, but they did. They actually helped us out and it's been pretty good like that mm. throughout the classes. But in the old days, you know, the people would come and help you and they still do it speedway. Mm. You know, if you have a problem with your car or you crash in between heats, there's people, other drivers that will even come and help you put your car back together. Yeah. Can you explain, like, obviously you've guys come here preparing for your speedway season. Um, Braden, are you running the, the the speed car or the midget? Yep. And the sprint car or just the one this year? What's the go? Um, I was thinking that I'd more so just focus on the midget. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I haven't sort of done that for a, for a while now, just mm. focusing on the one car. But I may, uh, over, like, Christmas, New Year, there's a few races that, I might go and do with the sprint car, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And you just don't. You guys just prefer to. Is it is which actually is more harder to prepare the sprint car or the speed car? Um, they're both. <laughs> Your dad's thinking about it. He's on the camera. Yeah. <laughs> they're both pretty similar. They've they've both got their own um, sort of maintenance routines that they have. Most of it's similar, but there's a few different specifics with each one. Like the um, midget, we got an overhead cam motor that we have to change the timing belt in every now and again, which we don't have to do with the sprint car. So mm. other than that, it's not not too much of a mm. difference. Yeah. What about growing up around your dad, Braden? Do you obviously you were saying about early memories, but for you, when were you like when was the first time for you like you were like, you know what, like so my my stepdad and I get along, yep. right? And I was like one time I just literally just watched him I, I was racing I mentioned it on a podcast. Yep. I was watching the 97 Bathurst 1000 and then he was a support race. Yep. And then my mum said, hey, that's Jeff, that's who I'm dating and that's how it went from there. Yep. For you, do you remember a certain point where you were like, you know what, I want to be a part of this? What was what was that where you were just like, you, when you'd realised that your dad was like a Hall of Famer in racing, do you know what I mean? a well-known personality? Yeah, um, going to some of, the, some of the races that he was running at that point in time when he was running the um, – V8 Giants in the AMRS series and the independent race series had gone sort of mm. watch that when I was young. But the main sort of thing that really kicked it off for me was going to the Speedway all the years that we did because we'd always always go up and watch at Parramatta or Goulburn or Nowra or wherever and just go and, go and watch races. And then, yeah, one night we were there and then I thought, well, hang on, what about junior sedans and I started googling it which he didn't have back in his day yeah and then I realized <laughs> hang on a minute I could have been racing these for like three years now why aren't I doing it <laughs> and um yeah then we just yeah sort of threw everything at it and got a car and and went racing yeah Gary did you delay because you were like holy shit my bank account <laughs> <laughs> yeah no he just um 
you know, I just uh, didn't want to rush into it. But I didn't know they could race at 10 either or, or, okay. or probably we would have been. Yeah, okay. But I didn't, I didn't realise that that was happening in Victoria and South Australia and Queensland. Yeah, right. So, so wait, was it those states but not New South Wales? I'm confused. Yeah, so yeah. Um, nationwide besides New South Wales and the ACT was junior sedans from 10 years old. Okay. And yeah. here is 14. Yeah. But that's all changed now since yeah. I went and ran and did everything that I did. So they've, uh, they've dropped the age to like 10 and you can, yeah, you can run from 10 here now. Yeah, Gary, did you give him a paddock basher back in the day? To Plenty. To, oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you actually explain that, Braden? Um, when Dad gets into it? Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of learned how to drive a manual car when I was like, I don't know, three or something. Really? Yeah. I wasn't very good, but I, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was giving it a go back then. Yeah. And, yeah, I've been sort of, well, growing up on 100 acres, 150 acres, um, I've been driving a lot for for a lot of that time, so yeah, I've been doing a lot of a lot of driving. Yeah, Gary, do you remember the car that that Braden drove that he's talking about? Well, yeah, the the, the main car, the main car that he drove a lot of, and it's probably one of the reasons he likes midgets. He had a um, a little Honda Odyssey two hundred and fifty Mini Sprint, which is they were they used to race them up in um, near back of Penrith there, mm. where they were a two fifty two stroke that looked like a midget mm. and um, I had one of those and he used to, he was driving that because that had all the controls on the steering wheel Yeah, and he was driving that from, you know, bloody two and three year old. Really? He, he would sit on my lap and drive that car like flat out because <laughs> we, had, we had another speedway. That was when we were still at Ludnam and we had another speedway there and yep. um, he'd, be, he'd be driving around that track. Yeah. Up there fast at a very, very young age. Yeah. Very young. <laughs> it was in the blood from oh, the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I've always more tried to talk him out of racing than into it. It's just it's just he's wanted to do it. I mean, the other thing, going back to Wakefield Park again, mm. there used to be a fence around the the um like the admin building there. Mm. And he used to just live in that area and he'd have his cars and John Bow would be there and Brocky would be there and all the different people at the big events and he'd be talking to them through the fence and then they'd come in and he'd, you know, ended up really good mates with John Bow. Yeah, um, right. We actually delayed a race there for him to do the candles on his birthday at one <laughs> event there because <laughs> um, John was there with him with his birthday cake on the front veranda of the building there and... Uh, he had to blow his candles out and then John had to run and go and get in the car and off the race went at one of the pro car events. So, yeah, he's been pretty involved. Since he was uh, young. Yeah, yeah, very young. Yeah. Braden, is, is Bowie actually one of your idols? What's, have yeah. you any racing idols apart from your dad? Um, the biggest one is Brian Clausen. Yeah, okay. Um, other than that, yeah, I'd say I'd say John Bow and Troy Jenkins from Midgets in Australia, even though I, I race against him quite a bit now. Um yeah, that's that's probably the biggest ones in and Brooke Tatnell as well. Okay, Claus and the one the next Nats car driver slash sprint car driver had the accident. Yeah, the one who was trying to do as many racing as possible. Yeah, doing the two hundred races in a year thing. Yeah, is yeah. that what encouraged you to race? Really, was that, um, or was it just like more of a tipping point later on when you started racing? It was more of a tipping point later on, and I raced against him at um, Archerfield and Lismore at the World Midget Championships up there. That was. 
that was a really cool thing. Got to pit next to him and spend a bit of time with him. And it was very, very eye-opening to sort of just see how he went about everything that he does. And he's been a massive influence into everything that I've, I've pretty much done. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously you boys are heavy. As we know, with mainly speedway talk at the moment, but yeah. yeah, so a lot of those guys in the pits, they actually ninety percent of them would give you advice when they in yeah. the pits. Yeah, yeah, I like at the end of the night, like because it was a two night show at Archerfield, and then a week later it was a two night show at Lismore, and um, the after the night one at Archerfield, we just sort of had a chat with Brian, and he was he was really good. He just explained sort of everything to us without even asking him to. It was. It was it was very very good of him to do that, mm. and um, yeah, I learned I learned so much that two weeks, um, a, a lot of I learned a lot of stuff over those two weeks. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, what what do you think of when he passed away? Because that that type of things, are like very hard for people to take in. Like that Brocky, was Brocky, obviously. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what was that like for you? It was devastating. I remember seeing that race happen, and then. I was talking to Will Liston is a real, uh, is a good friend of mine and we were always watching sort of what Brian was doing and what we were always keeping up to date with what was going on over in America and we saw the crash and we were just thinking it doesn't look too good mm. and yeah it was they basically said he's in a stable condition he's okay and then they were going to do an announcement at uh, sometime American at IMS so I was like, all right, well, I'll stay up late. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And, um, yeah, they just come straight out and said that he'd passed away and that was, yeah, we, me and Will were basically just texting backwards and forwards going, what just happened? Yeah, This can't happen, but it's it's a part of it and that's sort of, yeah, that's what happens in motorsport. You sort of accept that that can happen and then you just move past it. And, um, yeah, you just sort of... Uh, it, it it sucks that that happened and we were actually talking about possibly even getting Brian to come out and drive one of our sprint cars or midget at some point just trying to get him in a car over here so we could learn as much as we could and I think that would have been a really good thing but obviously that never happened and uh, yeah it's it's a bit of a shame. Mm. So Gary, you boys are trying to get like kind of like what Salah was doing with Aaron Rizel. Was yeah. that was was that the kind of the plan? Yeah, it was sort of if there was anyone that I'd feel confident in putting in one of our race cars that we could learn a lot out of and um, sort of do a do a deal where they get some racing and we'd we'd learn heaps. It would have been him, mm. and he's probably still to this day the only person that I would have put in the car to do that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Gary, back to you. You you've obviously raced for many many years and seen the safety spe- like spec up in both speedway and car racing itself on tar. Yeah. Um. But you've seen many deaths and incidents and all that. Obviously through Bathurst and Amaru and. Oh yeah. Have you yeah. had any any moments where you've been in the car and gone, "Holy shit! I just saw this dude hit the fence. I hope he's okay." Um. Yeah. There's been a there's been a few of them. Yeah. 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 yeah quite a few of them, but um. Yeah, but just have to keep it in the back of your mind. You you know, you always have to know that whenever you race anything, it's dangerous. It's like everything else in life, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, the way you do it is, you know, how how high a risk you you want to take your danger levels to. But yeah, I still love car racing, and I still think it's safer than most other things you do in life. So mm. yeah. yeah, yeah. And well, obviously, Gary, for you, you had a supercar 
how many supercar teams did you actually race for and then race yourself? Because there was yourself in the green car. What was that? Was it privateer or did you switch teams? There's so much stuff on the internet because it goes back to 1978. Yeah, well, <laughs> most of the time it was always my own cars. Yeah. Um, pretty much always, you know, we had um, we had a little bit with the Blue Haven Pools sort of where they had their cars which I prepared and stuff. Mm. And then um, a little bit with the Simon's Earthworks cars where, again, I prepared the cars and 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 stuff, but most of the time, nearly ninety percent of my racing was sort of my money that you'd earn very hard, work very hard to get, and just go racing. You know. Yeah, yeah. And for Braden's, obviously, you've done TCR and S five thousand. We'll go back to S five thousand later. But with your yep. current program with TCR, that's kind of come to a halt. Is that just due to sponsorship and stuff like that? Pretty much the money that it takes to run that car to even just show up. To race it is way too much for what we can afford to do at the minute. Um, I've been, yeah, trying to find sponsors for the last four years, basically, to help, yeah, for for the last four years to try and help all of that sort of stuff. But it just, yeah, it's a a big struggle. And to do it without sponsors is basically impossible. Yeah. Gary, have you found since when you were doing it back in the day, the sponsorship, has it always been, did you find hard compared to what it is now? Or do you see that there's, you know, changes in how sponsors work over the years in in the sport? Yeah, it's, um, it has changed a bit. It's, it's, it's probably changed a fair bit. And I mean, it's very hard to be just a, a privateer and to go out and try and find a sponsor. It's almost impossible unless you know someone or you've got some connection where your business is buying parts off them or buying something off them, you know, but when you're sort of like we are at the moment, it's just impossible to get money from anyone to promote their products. It's just not happening for us. We just can't get anything at all and we're just – it's a, a huge struggle at the moment to um, to try and make it happen. We thought it would be better – with the TCR car mm. um, than some of the other categories, but then they went to stand sport and that stuffed us completely. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask on that. It was better in the first, when you were racing S5000, Brad, it was better yeah. then, was it, on TV? I, I basically had a couple of sponsors lined up for the start of this year mm. and they told us that they were going to stand sport a week out from um, Tasmania. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I had a few of them. I just said, well, just sort of stay on, stay on board and see what happens. And they saw the first round and saw that it was all locked behind a paywall and they were like, well, what's the point? Yeah. So it was, it's a shame. Um, I don't mind Stan Sport. I don't mind the streaming side of it. He hates it because he doesn't sort of understand how to use it yet. But <laughs> I like flow racing. Yeah. I, I have that and I watch that religiously with all the American speedway stuff that's on there. And, um, well, we both do, Mm. but, um, yeah, I can sort of see where they're all coming from. Like I think TCRs probably pissed off a lot more people than they've made friends with. with. They've started to grow the platform of TCR and everyone just started to enjoy it. And then they, cut it all off and put it behind a paywall. 
I think this is a discussion we saw even post-Bathurst because when we, when we were there and then came back and, like, I said to Dan, it's all on Fox now and not every, and there's only a little bit on Channel 7. Yeah. Uh, and you don't, like, again, see the support categories, et cetera, on all the free to air because they limit it. Yeah. yeah. And I said we're in a day and age as well, especially post-COVID and the cost of living in this country. A lot of people just cannot afford all the streaming no. services. So no. it's becoming harder and harder. And I can see why then sponsors are like, well, this is where all the people are. Yeah. Um, so it's becoming, yeah, that, I guess, that's another jump that you've got. Did you find it a little bit easier before COVID with sponsors or do you think there's been a drastic yeah. change? Yeah, it was It was easier before COVID, but since that, not as many people have as much money that they're willing to just throw around Yeah, to, to do yeah. sort of that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it's it's definitely definitely harder now. And especially with TCR as well, you're competing against supercars. Mm. So it's that supercars basically sucks up everything that football cricket and everything else hasn't yeah. um hasn't got already and there's there's not much left to to sort of get anything out of yeah Gary, what were you going to say? You seemed like you were keen to say uh, something. Well, no, with the stand sport thing, like I love Indy cars. Yeah. And I used to I used to watch it on Fox because I can turn the TV on and it's there. Yeah. Now I can't watch it. I haven't watched a single Indy car race this year, which is pretty yeah. bloody annoying because I love watching them, you know. I love the cars and I love the racing they they present. But because it's on stand sport, I can't, I can't watch it. Mm. And most of my generation and even younger than me will all say to me, I don't know how to get on this thing. I don't know. It's not the money. It's just the matter of not being able to just simply do it. Yeah, it's not accessible. No, it's no. just not easily. It's just, just not a matter of pressing the button and getting onto it like it is mm. with normal TV. So it is if you've, got a, if you've got a smart TV, it's a lot easier. But, again, not many people have yeah, smart no. TVs. Yeah, that's my parents. Yeah. They got a smart TV because my dad was like, I just can't handle this. Please help me. Yeah. And then we had to set it all up. Yep. And then he gets all my logins for Stan. We've got Dan's for other ones and yep. that. And it's all set on there. And he's like, okay. And anything falls down. He's like ringing me going, what the hell? What's the password again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's really disappointing because when it was on Channel 7, even though it wasn't the best coverage, mm. Um, it was there and so many people had come back and say they saw it and they watched it. Yeah. But with the TCR this year, with every race we've done, no one's come back and said, well, we all watched it. Yeah. Have you seen with the races that you went to with the TCR series and the, well, compared to the S5000 and the TCR, have you seen the, the crowds decline in a way as well because of the paywall and stuff because it's not being seen as much? Or yeah, not? I've just seen a decline in general to – spectators going to the track. Yeah, okay. Um, I haven't seen, like, the ARG rounds, they don't have too many people go to go to them, which is sad because that's sort of... Speedway relies on having a crowd to then make the racing cheaper and pay prize money and all that, whereas no one else really seems to care about getting the crowd back. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, like supercars, Bathurst, there was a massive crowd, but you're always going to get a massive crowd for Bathurst unless yeah. you tell them that they can't go, like I, I was literally telling Brooke that before we went. Yeah. We went to Bathurst over the weekend and I was like, the only race that most people go to for supercars, and even Paul Morris has mentioned on another podcast, yep. is Bathurst because it's Bathurst. But yep. the thing is to entice the crowd to go to every round is a total different subject yeah. alone and a total different, the logistics in it. You know what I mean? As you said, the paywall for Stan Sport, no one really 
cares. Do you know no. what I mean? Like yeah. Gary, you don't give a shit if you don't go if you're going or not. Do you know what I mean? You just you've given up on IndyCar because you can't. Because oh, I can't watch it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can get him to watch it, but I can't get him to do everything. If if <laughs> if he comes and turns it on for me, I can watch it. Yeah, but otherwise I can't. I just don't yeah. know how to do it, and maybe too old and stubborn to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm not the only one. Yeah. There's a whole lot of other people the same. Yeah. But it's really frustrating. That's the thing that frustrates me the most about circuit racing and having been in it for so long is that all of a sudden every race that's on everywhere except for supercars, they concentrate on not bothering to get money out of people that come in the gate. They just want to get the money out of the people that are there racing. Yeah. And, you know, the whole motor racing thing has turned into something that people want to do because they want to do it, not because they're professionals that go out and want to race cars or they want to get to the supercar level. You just can't do it anymore unless you've got a lot of money for every round. Mm. You, all you're going to do is race for fun. Mm. And, you know, I never raced for fun. I raced, I ran businesses to get enough money to go car racing mm. because I loved car racing and I wanted to make a profession out of it. But... You know, I got to a lot of meetings and raced a lot of times. But like I said, we used to get stuff back. We used to get prize money. Hmm. I never got my first trophy in car racing for about the first five or six years. I was getting money. Hmm. We are getting prize money. Yeah. And you you were racing in front of big crowds at little events, just your average Amaru, Oran Park event, Hmm. had a big crowd there Hmm. at a reasonably small event. Yeah. So they could still afford to pay money. But now the poor old competitor gets slugged and yeah. it's sad. Yeah, because Brooke Very was saying that. When, when, we, when Brooke and I met, she was like, oh, this, this is great that you're racing cars. It's absolutely insane. But she's like, do you get any money out of this? Cause because I come no- from other sports where people are getting like, you know, you watch any of our team sports, fight sports, there's a purse. There's something yeah. there. Even at the like basic levels, they fight the promoters. I came yeah. from like Muay Thai and that to get the state people who are fighting something, yep. you know, this yep. are worthwhile. And I'm watching Dan spend so much money. It was yeah. in Formula Ford and everything going, so great, you get a plastic trophy at the end. Where's the yeah. money? But then as we've spoken, like you said, Speedway, they work to get prize money to them. But then yeah. you watch these major classes and that, and there's just I see so much money going into motorsport Australia, but it's wondering where does it go from there? Because we see the big event Bathurst where they spent money to set it up. Yeah. But what happens at SMP, other, you know, all the other tracks around Australia, that's where it starts to become questionable where's all this money going? Um, because there's nothing there for the drivers that we're yeah. seeing. Except for like you mentioned, uh, we saw was it the Toyota 86 had a decent mm. prize pool. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, then you that's want, about it. That's yeah. about it. Yeah. That's yeah. when yeah, Lockie got the 50k there and it was just like but then we see these other classes like you said the tcr trans am everyone else i'm like well where does it go <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's just like it's crazy and then the other thing on top of that is you spend so much to go on like super two 86s all of that trans am all of those classes you go and spend so much money mm. and it's like anywhere between 10 and 40 or well, super two is 100 plus per round mm. 100K plus? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And then you you get races canned, you're behind the safety car, you do all that because time's certain for supercars. Yeah. Super 2 on the weekend, as you know, didn't even get really a lap to what they got eight laps in. Three, yeah. got Three mm. racing laps I think Super 2 got on the weekend and that's like when you're spending $100,000, you want more than three racing laps. Yeah. <laughs> it's Gary, just, yeah. yeah. Gary, what do you think of the, what do you think of the, 
the 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 debacle or the debacle of um of Super Two and like the Bathurst the way the schedule went this weekend. What do you think of that? Well, I'm pretty disgusted, really. In a way, they've Mm. all turned into Sheila's, really. Mm. The way it's all all just organised and run. You know, in all my years of racing, like 52 years of racing cars, we had one event cancelled at Lakeside where there was like a metre of water over the track. Mm. I can accept that. We went home and come back another week. One meeting at Oran Park that was meant to be on the Sunday, they ended up cancelling until the Monday, but things were flooded everywhere all around it and you couldn't park people in the paddocks and stuff. Mm. But they still only put it off for a day. But that was rerun. But every other race, didn't matter how hard it was raining or what it did, we went out and raced. Mm. And that's what we did. Yeah, you couldn't see past the end of your bonnet, but you raced, that's what you did. Yeah. You know, I mean, you didn't have someone say, you can't do it, it's too dangerous. You, as the driver, are the one that decides whether you want to make it dangerous or not. Mm. If you're not, don't want to go and race, then leave your car in the pits. But if you want to race, whether it's raining heavy, or there's water running across the track and your car's going to aquaplane, feel it out in the warm-up laps. Know where the water is. Know where the rivers are. Don't run through them. Mm. Look for the shiny patches on the track. You know, all the things that you learn over these years. Um, You know, have a driver's briefing before they go out and have someone there that knows what they're talking about. You can actually talk to the drivers and say, when you go out there, look for the rivers. Don't run through them. Or if you do go straight through them, don't try and turn through them. All the little things Mm. that... You know, yeah. nobody cares, nobody teaches anyone unless they get a, a good coach to come along with them. Nobody teaches drivers these things and then you get drivers at professional levels that go out and race and make stupid mistakes that are unnecessary. Yeah, and they're most of as in Braden's area, obviously racing in my area, they run a lot of the wet laps now just under safety car. There's no real racing and the, and the, uh, the echelon of racing, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like it kind of makes the wet tyres irrelevant, do yeah. you know what I mean? you might as well just can it and... Don't worry about running it and then you don't have to buy a wet tyre. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's sad, like, the way that it is, even if it is. Like, the most fun I've had in circuit racing so far was Phillip Island in the S5000 in pissing down rain. Yeah, okay. It was the most fun that I've had. It was the most comfortable I felt in the car. Ironically, everyone was spinning off the track and doing all sorts of stuff, but it was it was good. You could feel everything. You could feel... Um, where the car was going to get loose and you were you just you were just a bit more cautious mm. and it was after a bunch of dry running and um you could just sort of tone back from where you were running in the dry and yeah. run to a slower pace but um yeah it wasn't sort of a problem we did a standing start we um and it just yeah it got to the point where it was raining so heavily and then TCR went out after us and continued running and it wasn't a problem. But now it's just as soon as there's a, a, a bit of moisture in the air, started yeah. in the safety car and that's about it. Yeah. 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 And for Gary and Yorda, you as you were saying, you just literally would just run when there was water on your bonnet, you wouldn't give a shit. That's pretty right. Much. Yeah. You just have let, a go. Unless the track was completely underwater, oh, I can tell you. One of the meetings at Sandown, I put the car on the front row. There was Rocky and then it was me. And it was raining that heavy in qualifying that I worked it out. I did a few laps and then started to count how long it would take me to get to the next corner because I couldn't see where it was. It was raining that heavy. Mm. So I counted between the corners to work out where I had to break. Yeah. And 
did pretty bloody good out of it, you know. So <laughs> you've got to be a little bit innovative and try and, and do it, you know. And, I mean, now it's just can it bring the safety car out and I don't think there's any modern-day drivers that actually know what a double yellow flag is and I don't think there's any modern-day officials that know that a double yellow flag waved means walking pace. Mm. Now, then at Bathurst you get crashes where you've got people with yellow flags out and there's people accelerating through cars Mm. that are crashed on the track and you're just thinking, hang on, you know, double yellows, stand on the people, make it real, be able to close a section of the track off and have people at walking pace and then continue racing so you haven't got a stupid safety car out there Mm. for 90% of the races because that's what's killing motorsport. Who's going to go and stand out in the weather to watch a car race behind safety car? Yeah, no one. I mean, I love going to car racing. I love watching car racing as much as I do competing in it, mm. but not behind a safety car. Yeah. <laughs> that was like last weekend's F1 race after the Bathurst. That was yeah. 90%, 99%, <laughs> sorry, safety car. It reminded yeah. us of last yeah. year. You yeah. stay up all that time watching just to see one lap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, what, that's one thing I do like about TCR, and a lot of people said to me, why didn't you go Trans Am or something else other than TCR? It's because... TCR is the top level of the ARG races and they will always look after them more than the other categories. So you've got more of a chance of if there's a safety car, the race isn't going to go time certain. Mm. Whereas you look at Trans Am in Tasmania this year, they did like five racing laps over the three races that they did and it's a long way to go to Tasmania to do that. And it's just sort of, it's, it's just not what you'd call fun. You just, you, you want to go out and race. You don't want to go and follow the safety car. Yeah, yeah. And for you, Gary, with obviously the safety car stuff and the Bathurst thing, what, what did you think of the start of the, the race at the Bathurst? It was just crazy at the start. They were just yeah. – they were literally like a sprint race in the first five minutes. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like they should yeah. – do you agree with some of the comments? Do you agree with some of the, 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 the legend of the sport like yourself saying, listen, slow down, it's like a literally – it's a 161-lap race? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah like drive smart, drive smart, but – People have forgotten how to do that a lot, I think. Yeah. You know, like, they're just... Yeah, you would have seen on the on the opening lap that there's water all up the outside of Mountain Straight mm. and you're on slicks. Well, you're not going to drive through it, are you? You're going you're gonna <laughs> to avoid it. Yeah. If you have to back off to avoid it, 161 laps, you've got plenty of time, you know, you can make it up. You know, people say, you know, you don't win it in the first lap, you, don't, you can lose it in the first lap, but in 100, when you've got 161 of them, Mm. more likely to lose it than you are to win it. So mm. back off, take it easy. doesn't matter if your last car over the top of the hill, mm. but don't drive out in water that's that deep and think that something's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just <laughs> off off subject for a bit. Gary, I've got to know, how did you meet your wife? And obviously, Braden, how, how, how did that all happen? How did Braden get born? How did he – how did you meet uh, your wife? How I did met that my happen? wife because I had the the workshop – at Ludnam, where mm. I did a lot of performance cars and built a lot of engines and did all sorts of stuff. Um, she had, his mother had a, a four-cylinder Cortina, mm. TC Cortina, and she come up there and wanted me to put a V8 in it yep. as a road car. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I said, no, I won't do it for you. You'll kill yourself in it. Yep. You're not going to do it. Because she was doing a bit of drag racing and stuff in that car at Oran Park. Mm. So she was a pretty much a rev head too. Mm. And um, 
So she hated me from that day. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> hated me because I wouldn't put a V8 yeah. in her Cortina. So, yeah, then we just seen each other from time to time and then yeah. ended up um, getting together. I talked her into coming up to Bathurst with me in 1990. Yep. And, um, yeah, she came up there and, as I say, the rest is basically history. Yeah, right. Yeah. And back to you, Brayden. How did you meet your girlfriend? Um, actually through, uh, when I raced the S5000 at the bend. Yeah. Yeah. She was up there and taking a real keen interest in race cars and like from, from Speedway, I always let everyone come into all the, all the spectators the whole weekend. Um, they were all just, yeah, coming into our garage and having a look at the car because you don't get that opportunity at many circuit racing events. Whereas at Speedway at the end of the night, you all go down to the pits, you can jump in cars, you can have a look at them, talk to the drivers and all that sort of stuff, whereas circuit racing is just just a, a closed area. You can't – you're lucky to get 10 metres away from a, from a car. But that's one thing I've always made sure I've done with circuit racing, whether it's the TCR car or the S5000. I always invite people into the garage, do garage tours, walk them through the cars and let people sit in them and all sorts of stuff like that because – I know what it meant to me growing up as a race fan uh, when I could go and get up close to a car and look at it and um, even Bart Moore mm. let me sit in his car a few times and that that all also helped with um, getting me to where I am now. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but she she was just another sort of race fan that was there on that weekend. She sat in the car and then, um, yeah, I got to know her and her family quite well and, yeah, from, from there on, um, we've been talking ever since, yeah. Yeah, right. And then just started dating from then on. Pretty much. Yeah. I've been helping her out a lot with her racing. I'll go to most of her races in Adelaide mm-hmm. and coach her and help her out with uh, with what she does with her XL. And in turn, she comes to my races. She talks to me on the radio, um, helps us out with all sorts of other stuff. Um, Racing-wise, she does all my social media stuff as well, which – is good because that's one thing I don't have to do now. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's definitely painful. I, I rely on Dan for help. For this show, it's social media, it's Dan. <laughs> By the way, she's saying that, but she creates the content. I'll create yeah. it, but I don't want to deal with the posting and being – I still can't get my head around TikTok. I'm too old. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll create most of the stuff and then um, then she can just post it and, yep. and reword it. I'll send her a draft and then she'll say, well, I'm changing this, this, this and this, <laughs> and then, um, then we'll post it. And I'm yeah. like, yep, okay, that's Good fine. Work. <laughs> was she racing when you met her? Um, she was just about. She was building a car and um, just just starting. So we sort of helped her get on the right track with it, yep. and and yeah, been helping her ever since. Mm. And Gary, for you, obviously, Cass has been helping Braden with his all these racing and social media and whatnot. Did did your wife help you with any of your logistical stuff back when you were racing? When oh you, when yeah, you... all the time. Yeah, she used to do all my sponsorship proposals, and she used to do all the um, heaps and heaps of stuff. She even work on the car, mm. and um, yeah, do lots of stuff. She'd talk on the radio and things. Yeah. After refusing her a V8 engine, did you ever let her behind the wheel of one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She she um. She raced drags a lot. Yep. She won the burnouts at, at Canberra at the Summer Nats. Oh, wow. And um, she's still got a drag car, 700 horsepower V8 yep. Falcon drag car sitting in the shed at home. Yeah, right. And, um, but she raced um, production cars mm-hmm. 
She come um, the best she come was second in the the championship in the Ford XR8. She raced the Magna the first year and then the XR8 the next year. So she's pretty good at driving. She's That's really good, yeah. Mm. Yeah. She's always itching to kick me out of the seat and jump in and show, show me that she can do better. I was about to ask that. Could she beat you, Braden? <laughs> well, I, I don't think she could, but she seems to think <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> I've got to ask, Braden. obviously – I'm, as you know, a bit of a sprint car fan, and I, I, I found it interesting how you went from the sprint car to the to the S five thousand, and you said you wanted to use originally the S five thousand to get over, which now makes sense yeah. to Indy cars, right? Because your yeah. dad likes Indy cars. Yep. Um, what was the comparison? Could you actually relate any sprint car racing to S five thousand in any way, or not really? Driving wise, I could. Yeah. Um, yeah. Surprisingly, yeah. I, it, the they're both uh, high aero. Well, the S five thousand was higher aero than anything I've driven um, circuit racing wise. But yeah, the faster you drive them, the nicer they feel. If you drive a sprint car half assed it's going to feel terrible. Mm. And it was the same with the S5000. It always sort of felt terrible to me until I started to push it. Mm. But I just couldn't push it to the point where I needed to mm. because it was, yeah, if I spun out, went off, knocked a corner out of it, it was going to cost more than I could afford yeah. So, so the but, budget was in the back of your mind in S5000? Always. It was always in the back of my mind and that was probably the main thing that held me back in that. Um, it was cheaper to run than the TCR car, mm. but if I crashed it, it was basically all over. So yeah. that was that was yeah. the biggest problem with that. But, yeah, other than that, the Sprint car and S5000, they did, they did translate a little bit over. The main thing that I had to get used to was braking. Mm. Because we don't do that in Speedway. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. we've got brakes and we use them to settle the car and uh, when when the track's rough and pull the car into the corner. But other than that, they mainly just use it to after you've pulled it out of gear, you roll back into the pits and then you use it when you're yeah. pulling up to your pit bay. That's about it. <laughs> it's <laughs> especially when you only use it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you think, Gary, about the S five thousand when you boys did it? Did you was that more so, your choice or Braden's choice for that? It was mine. Your choice, yeah. okay. Yeah, and w- but I loved them because I loved Formula Five Thousand. You know, like I used to watch them back in the seventies and absolutely loved them. Brute power. You watch the start of a, a Formula Five Thousand race at Oran Park in the old days, mm. and there'd be twenty odd of them there, smoking the tires, shake the ground when they took off. Just astronomical those things. I loved them, absolutely mm. loved them, and the fact that there was. Chev engines like Leyland engines, Gossie had a Ford engine. So they were pretty um, they were pretty special cars. They were really good. And, I mean, back in the days everybody says that open wheels have never been an ink in Australia, but Formula 5000, you know, everything backed it up at Oran Park. Mm. Like Formula 5000s were the, what you went to watch and then the production cars and the touring cars were were sort of, second rate to the Formula 5000. So, no, I, I loved them. Mm. But, again, if we crashed it, you know, it's something that would take you more than 10 years to pay for because mm. the car itself was very expensive. Yeah. Um, but they were reasonably cheap to run with the hard tyres and stuff. Like mm. Great cars and great, but it was out of our league and we yeah. realised, you know. I mean, I, I get criticised because... A lot of people criticise me because he, you know, he. That's why on a podcast, Gary, you can we can get criticised all we want. But you know, because he's raced so many different categories of cars. Yeah. Um, but I did too. You know, like I raced trucks. 
I raced um, sports sedans, production cars. I raced a million different things. Mm. And I reckon that if you want to be a true champion, you've got to drive lots of different cars mm. and be thrown in at the deep end all the time, which he has, you know. He, yeah. His first main circuit race that he ever had was in a S5000. Really? Yeah. 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 yeah, right. That was my first um, CAMS race event. Really? Motorsport Australia race event, yeah. yeah. Holy shit. Where was that at? Eastern the Bend. The Bend. The Bend. Yeah. To make it even worse, it yeah. was the Bend. And I was <laughs> racing against like Thomas Randall, Anton Di Pasquale, James Winslow. Yeah. Um, Bart was there too, wasn't he? Wasn't Joey no, there? He, no, he wasn't running no, that he one. he didn't run that one. Joey was there? Uh, John Martin. Jo- Joey wasn't there yet. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, there wasn't. Too many cars there, but there was enough like James Golding, Tim Macro. Mm. They were yeah. all people. Well, James hadn't done a lot of open wheel stuff, but everybody, basically everybody in that whole time I raced there, I was sort of just a fish out of water. I probably didn't belong there with the guys yeah. that were racing those things. But um yeah, it's it was it was still good to do it. Um I learned a lot out of it mm. and it has helped me with the TCR stuff. Yeah. Um but yeah, you look at guys like Shane Van Gisberg and, and mm. Kyle Larson, they drive anything and they win in it. Yeah. And, and um, Brian Clawson, who you looked up to. Yeah. 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 And yeah, he'd race midgets, non wing sprint cars, Silver Crown, IndyCar, NASCAR, anything. Just jump in, drive it. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's sort of what I've, I, I can get in different cars. It doesn't matter if it's an XL or a midget or a Formula 500 or a TCR car. I can jump in it and be close to the pace mm. of what it what it needs yeah. to be. In the first couple of laps. Yeah. Because yeah. he, yeah. I remember at Maroolan the first day he ever drove on slicks and I went in the in the passenger seat. He just did some laps. We were doing a, a hill climb or something there. Yeah. And I put these slicks on a um, Mazda MX-6 and <laughs> – like he'd driven the car a couple of times on radials and then he jumped in it and I was in the passenger seat. I was going to tell him how he could go and how he'd find the limit of the slicks mm. and just straight away just scared the hell out of me because <laughs> he, he had the thing like sideways and just yeah, just dancing in the first lap that he did, you know, got it. just – I went back in and I said to his mother, I said – I just don't know how he found the limit of that car on slicks that fast. Yeah. Because he did. He yeah. just straight away. Yeah. Was right on the money in it, so. Was that due to the midget stuff that you like, Braden, though? Like, you like the speedway. Is that because, do you feel when you're on the gas in yeah. the speedway how the car tips out and likes the cushion? Yeah. Is that what relates to you, what your dad was saying, though? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, a lot of people just think speedways driving in a circle. Hillbillies yeah. just driving in circles. But there is so much to it. And you put... Most professional circuit races, you go and chuck them in a midget or a sprint car and they have no idea what to do. Mm. And it's just so much to do with connecting your head to your foot and using throttle control and getting the feel of everything with um, how how much throttle to use, um, how much steering lock you got to use. It's all uh, – there's so much to Speedway. It's such an intricate um, – sort of profession really like midgets and sprint cars are totally different to anything else you could do 
Yeah. I 100% agree with that. As Dan took me out and watched it as a, as someone who's watching it, I said to Dan, I think, like, this is way more terrifying. You need a lot more skill or, you know, you need skill. Yeah. I'm not going to knock anyone, like, doing yeah. circuit racing. But out there I was just like, holy shit, when I'm watching the speedway and the speed you're doing. That's why I've said we've had Mark Attard and a few others on here. I'm like, how do you focus? I was like, because you're going so fast. It's a yeah. very special skill. And I was going to say, to then take it out there into circuit would give you certain advantages. Yeah. Um, Dan's done both. Mm. Dan had, had that as well. But yeah, I think some yeah. of them, yeah, just, you know, some people will talk shit about the speedway, but it's like get out there and do it because yeah. I think it's a different thing. And if people don't know, I think they need to get out there and even just watch it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different thing, yeah. Yeah. I've I've raced at Warrnambool in the sprint car a bunch of times and still there's a little – crew viewing platform on the entry to turn one. Mm. And I'd race the sprint car there and I'd never sort of been up to to watch from that point. And I watched one race from up there and I was blown away by the speed that you were entering turn one. And I was like, <laughs> is that how we're actually going in there? It's yeah. it's fast. <laughs> it is so fast. And like when you're when you're at Warrnambool and you're doing 10 second laps and yeah. um the lap record there's like a nine Nine nine, which is it's just on the money. Everything's yeah. blurry. It's it's crazy fast. Yeah. It, um, if it goes wrong, it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were talking before when I was getting you guys on the podcast about Eastern Creek Speedway. Yeah. How fast that track is now. Yeah. And and you're you're sa- you were saying to me out at the track, the track actually needs to slow down. Yeah. Get their drainage right. Yeah. And go again. Like they're they're having obviously the whole. The whole debacle and yeah. controversy around, you know, oh, this is wrong and that's wrong, and you know, you know, the poor promoters are trying to fix the bloody track, and they just got given it by the government. Yeah. But then the government, which, which, which we know, yeah, they design the track themselves without any speedway advice. Is yeah. that is that true? Yeah, pretty much. It's it's a shame. It's great that we've got a brand new world class speedway, but yeah, it's got a, a few teething issues which will probably take a season or two to iron out and once once that's done it'll be the best track in the country mm. by far but and um, one of the best in the world yeah mm. yeah like to to go to a speedway and have all bitumen pit area um mm. is quite unusual and it's a nice change for once yeah. rather than rolling around in mud and yeah. clay and everything especially if it rains a few days before an event. <laughs> yeah. Gary, we're talking about the new speedway, but you were saying Liverpool speedway was your first, was it Liverpool your first speedway that you went to? Yeah. 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 Did you ever go to the showground? Yeah, yeah, I used yeah. to go to showground all the time. Yeah. What do you think yeah. about back then, like Liverpool speedway, I've seen videos and photos of it. We don't unfortunately have the internet working today, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah. But um, they were selling out nonstop, as you said, back in the day with the speedway crowds. Oh, Gary. absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be parked two kilometres up the road and have to walk that far just to get in there. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Huge crowds. Yeah. And and who who was the promoters back then? We had um oh, we had the two well, brothers. Yeah, Raymond's Mike yeah. and um Mike and Steve Raymond. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were promoting it back then and then they went to supercars. Is that correct to promote supercars? How did that actually well, all work? Yeah, well Mike Raymond was always on Channel Seven doing the telecasts. He was a really good commentator. Mm. So yeah, he used to um he used to do that. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you have any favourite moments, though, of like Liverpool or anything like that when you were watching there when you were a youngster or not really? Oh, just heaps, heaps yeah. of favourite moments. Yeah, it was just so good. It was always action-packed, you know. One group of cars is finished, well, they go off and the next one come on. It's just bang, 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 full action, mm. really good nights racing. Mm. No safety cars, you know, great. 
Yeah, an answer to both of you. Obviously, I've found out because I obviously watch a lot of Speedway, as we've a lot mentioned on this podcast. But yep. it's really hard, what I've found out from watching a lot of it, to actually get the whole of the timing right to finish the night on time. Yeah. It's literally like a race against time. Yeah. And and obviously, Gary, you're saying back then they were just bang, bang, bang. It was all perfectly timed. Yep. It seems as Braden and I's era that it seemed to like, oh, yeah, we'll give it, we'll, we'll kind of get this car off the track and it's kind of delayed. Is there any way that they can get that old energy back to be quick and fast, or is it just the way that the tracks are designed now that it takes a bit longer? Some oh, tracks, yeah. some tracks are really good. Like we were at Murray Bridge a couple of weeks ago with Ashton Maneef. We we mm. run his sprint car for him, and um, yeah, it was just uh, uh, time trials was finished. Come back in, he's on the phone to his parents saying, "Yeah, first race meeting." done at first qualifying session done and dusted it's really good and then um we're like you need to get back in the car they're calling us up for heat race one right now (laughs) and um yeah it was just all finished by like quarter past nine it was just it was a good good night of racing and um yeah a lot of the time it's sort of when they'll have multiple they'll try and cram as many divisions into racing that night as possible Mm. and that's where they just sort of end up biting off more than they can chew and then they end up running behind time and cutting laps for other support categories and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but it's definitely doable to to get back to that. I just think run a few less categories and um, try and promote it a bit more to get more people there. Yeah. Yeah. So, Gary, for you, obviously, Braden, you've said you've helped your son heaps, but yeah, obviously helped out young Maneef yep. there. So it was both of you helping out for his first sprint car race. Is that it? So yeah. you guys took him down there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How was that for an experience? You guys helping him out because the Manifs are heavily involved in racing, like yourself. Yeah. They both do TCR, whatever they, you know, yeah. whatever they can get their hands on. Yeah. You know, the old boy loves his. He was an ex sprint car driver himself. Yeah. What was it like teaching young Ashton to get in a sprint car from a go kart? It was. It was a. A bit of a challenge, but it was good because he listens, mm. and I've basically just. Uh, going down to Murray Bridge, I thought this is the better. Rather than going to Eastern Creek, you're going to have 28 to 30 cars there. Um, it's going to be a bit of a hard night to do. Mm. Go down to Murray Bridge, 17 cars. You'll make the feature regardless um, on where you end up in points. Um, and yeah, I just basically ran him through everything how to go about your first night of racing a sprint car. And he did an exceptional job. He, the, he, tag the wall a couple of times but there was no harm in that it was good to it, it's just about building confidence with him now to yeah. sort of just get him up to up to speed but it all it all comes with um with laps he's 16 so he's uh yeah just go. got, got a long way to go but he's good it's um and he listens which is the main thing yeah if they don't listen you're wasting your time you might as well not go with them you know but he listens yeah and he's learning and he's doing the right thing and he's going fast. He yeah. spends a lot of time at our place working on his car, working on our cars. Um, most Ashton of the, does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. He's, he's, really, he's got a really good work ethic. Um, and even TCR weekends, all the, the four races that I ran this year, Ashton helps us. Mm. And um, he, yeah. he's been working with us and uh, not working with Lachlan. So, yeah. Um, it's yeah, he's a, he's really good, really really switched on, and he asks a lot of questions, mm. a lot of questions. So you know he's interested. Yeah, Gary, you ran a driver training driver training school ages ago, and Brooke was gonna t- we we're t- talking about this off air. Um, yeah. But what was like 
obviously teaching your son and Ashton and all that, what goes into being like a, like a driver trainer from your era to now? Do you know what I mean? Like it's a lot more fast paced with the driver training these days because of the way they've got the car, you know what I mean? Like the, the brands and all that using the one track. But back yeah. then you had obviously you've, you had Maroolan and stuff like that and Wakefield. What yeah. went into running a driver training school? Yeah, well, probably a little bit different for me from other people because I'm more into teaching people, well, mainly the racing thing plus the road thing as well. Mm. But, you know, teaching them to read the road and teaching them a whole lot of different things that other trainers might not always Mm. even mention, you know. Um, But, no, it's always been an interest to try and be able to feed some of what I've learned over the, a lot of years mm. to other people and um, it's enjoyable to do it, you know, like it's it's always been an aim to just to keep going at that and yeah, and to be able to teach people and save them a lot of money by doing taking a lot of shortcuts that you can take if you know, you know, and, and staying alive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I've got to ask, obviously this is a bit of a wine back and forth podcast at the moment, but yeah. Gary, this one's for you um, and Braden might remember this because he might have seen it on TV. And this is my one of my favourite events when I was a kid. But do you remember much of the Winfield Triple Challenge? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. racing there? And can you explain back then, like the as we were talking about events, Eastern yeah. Creek, that was an event back oh, then. Absolute no-brainer, you yeah. know, like brilliant. Yep. Yep. No, brilliant. Absolute smart event, mm. you know, a smart event to put on. Yeah. Very smart event to put on. Yeah. And a great event, you know, and they packed the joint out. Yeah. Yeah. And back then in your day, there was um, cigarette sponsorship, which I've done a blog on, right? And cigarettes used to put a lot of sponsorship into, you'd have the Peter Jones car with Cedo and, yep. you know, Malbro with Brocky back in the day and Winfield with Scafie and whatnot. Yeah. But back then, do you, how did they get people to the, like, to, to Eastern Creek? Because there's no train tracks out there. Do you know what I mean? Like, like what was, what was the thing that enticed them to the Triple Challenge, do you know, being racing at that oh, event? Well, I just think that it was all three things. It was a, a sort of a one-day type event where you just get everyone in to do it. It was just an action-packed event. It was more like the Speedway, you know, whereas mm. it would be an action-packed event because you had plenty to come and see. You know, it wasn't a one-thing mm. event and it was, you know, it was brilliant. I loved it. I loved competing in it mm. and um, loved the crowds that you raced in front of at those events. Mm. It was magic. Mm. And back then you also had the Dash for Cash as well as a privateer and all those type of events. Do you reckon supercars, even though it's very, very different and monetized these days, do you reckon they could bring in, if it was done differently, like a speedway type of event? Well, or not that's, really? a, that's the biggest problem with all racing now and with supercars. Mm. You know, a lot of people have forgotten what are the most important parts of a race, mm. the start and the finish. Mm. So they go and run all these 250K races that are just boring mm. because everything in the middle of it is nothing. Yeah. Whereas in the older days when we used to start the the mixed up grids where the cars were wider, you know, like they'd be four wide on the grid mm. and that race at the start, it, you could gain a lot of spots off the start because the last car was closer to the front Yeah. and you could wheel your way through there. A little bit more dangerous but not really because – the speeds, if a car stalled on the grid, the cars weren't coming from as far back, they weren't going as fast. Mm. But it was much more action-packed. And you'd have like at Amaru where you'd have sort of a a five-lapper, mm. a ten-lapper and then a fifteen-lapper. Mm. Much more exciting day. You've got three race starts 
versus one. Mm. You know, where's all the action? It's all at the start and the finish. Yeah. But when you run these great big long races and the drivers have got to be super fit, the cars wear out, they cost more money because you're doing all these extra Ks. Mm. And then there's error to the shit house to make it even more harder yep. to pass. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, you know, shorter races, more of them, more action. Yeah. That's, That's what exactly I'm... what I have been saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep saying that to Dan. I said, we're also living in a society now which has got even sadder where people can't, they're saying now watch past a seven second social media video. So yeah. our attention spans now, especially for kids coming through, are very tiny. And yeah. so I'm just like, I said to Dan, people want to see hard, fast, move, move, move. I said, I get it. We should have events. Like I came from being a distance athlete. So I, and I said this to Dan, I love doing all my distance swimming, but I wouldn't expect anyone to watch that shit. It is yeah. boring. Like, <laughs> like we went out there and did it. And I remember my parents are like, we love you, but God, start and finish, that's it. But yeah. it's different when you're doing it. Same with marathons, everything. And there's a place for them. But then there's other events you need to have that mix up. And I was saying to Dan, we're just losing that mix up and they're focusing on just this one, you know, yep. big event. Mm. And then rather than having a whole heap of ones running, yeah. um, I feel like last year we got a little bit of a taste of that when they put TC. With the Bathurst 1000 yeah. because of COVID, and it was sad not to see that this year. And I felt yeah. like we had a real mix up with all those yeah. categories mm. coming through. I'm like, why yeah. don't they just keep doing that? Like, yeah. you've the got the festival that. thing was actually a pretty cool idea to yeah. spot it with being randomly scrapped together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was good. Yeah. 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 yeah, what did you think of that event, boys? You were there, weren't you? I went and watched oh, one of the okay. days. Um, I didn't get to race there. We were going to race the S5000 there, but I'm somewhat glad I didn't because yeah. the amount of safety cars and carnage that, that <laughs> ended up. Yeah. That it ended up being but um yeah i thought it was far better just having so many categories that's what i do like about the arg events you've got a variety of categories you've got your trans am tcr s5000 porsche michelin sprint challenge um basically yeah anything that you mm. there's something for everyone gt mm. um they're, they're a good event whereas supercars it's you sort of just got supercars super two 86s, mm. Carrera Cup sometimes. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think it was definitely a cool event, the the whole Bathurst thing with yeah. all the cars. Yeah. i got to ask, though, with um <clears throat> with you, Gary, you were teamed up with Gary Holt. Now, I, yep. used, I used to race at Eastern Creek with Gary Holt. He's yep. a bit of a character. Do you yep. remember much of your times racing with good old Gary? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the G&G combo? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, it was um, it was good. Mm. Um, it was hard work. We used to have a few um, disagreements. Yep. <laughs> most of the time, we'd, we'd we'd sort it out pretty quickly. We'd scream at each other, and then it'd be gone and forgotten in two minutes. Yeah. So <laughs> sounds like Gary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but you guys were running Wakefield Park together. Was that was it? You two, was it, or was he running it separately at another time? No, no, no. He um, was involved in the early days. Mm that I was down there for sort of the first 12 months he was yeah he was there involved in it and then he sort of got out of it and yeah 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 and I was obviously I was doing some research offline and obviously a lot of people who I was approaching at Bathurst with the super 2 super 3 thing and obviously Braden you were saying ages like you were saying at the start of the podcast it's so hard to just race at a supercar level right yeah so what do you think could change to get more guys into just super two instead of splitting the, instead of having the class classes merged together, is there any way that you reckon that they could do like some sort of TCR type of thing to, you know, get 
guys on a on a lesser budget because Super Two ten years ago there could be yeah you know, your dad right or twenty fifteen years ago yeah. your dad could race. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I think mainly the biggest setback to Super Two is the money that it costs to to go and do it. Yeah. It's hard to do it as a privateer, and if you don't want to do it as a privateer, you've got options from like four to six hundred thousand dollars a year to go and to yeah. go and do it and. From my knowledge, there's not many people with that sort of that sort of money to throw around. Like mm. we certainly could probably never ever go super two racing. It sort of doesn't matter whether um, you had a full time job, you work seven days a week, every weekend, um, every every day that you weren't racing the car, uh, you still just couldn't afford to go and do it. Mm. And it's hard to test though, just even test the super twos and yeah. whatnot. That's yeah, it's still hard. it's still expensive to go and test them or look at them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But realistically, Gary, for you, did you want to get right into, into supercars if like say 10 years ago, not now, but were you looking at that type of situation back when he was younger or? Oh, well you always do, but you know, I mean, I love supercars. I still love supercars. I don't, mm. you know, I still think they're a, a great category, but um, they're just out of this world, you know, like I would love to just go back and do one more Bathurst, but mm-hmm. <laughs> the chances of that are absolutely zero, you know. Yeah. You do 21 of them and then, you know, in 2000 was my last one mm. and and it's just out of hand, which is sad, you know, because I used to build a lot of my own car, well, nearly all of my own cars. You'd, mm. you'd build them from a shell you'd get from Ford or, a, mm. you know, you go and buy a road car or whatever and build your race car, but... Those days are gone, unfortunately, you know, and it makes it harder because if, you know, Braden would be capable of building his own car but not allowed to do it. You mm. can't do it. Mm. You had your famous green number 41 car, which is all over the VS Sleuth website and that's what, you, what, that's what Gary you're most known for on the yeah. internet apparently and, and your other and your other um, Bathurst podium, which Brooke, which Brooke found as well. Yeah. Um, well, Brooke can touch on that. But yeah. y- y- your green car, you built, that was just a general – E.L. Falcon, wasn't it, or was it just... Um, it was an EB. It yeah. was an EB production car that had hit the wall at Oran Park and they wrote it off. Mm. So I got that shell mm. um, basically for nothing mm. and then blasted it, has helped Braden a lot, sandblasted it all and um, and we built it into a supercar. We put all the cage in it. We did everything, absolutely mm. everything. Bought a lot of stuff off Dick Johnson. He sold us most of the um, running gear for that. Yep. Dave Moore built a lot of parts that we couldn't get. He'd um, Bart's dad did all mm. the rear end and stuff for it, and did a lot of a lot of the suspension work and things in that. He did, so mm. it was yeah, it was a full homemade car. Yeah, right. And the more obviously, obviously, I race with them now, Bart yeah. and Dave and himself. But they were big in your day, Gary. And do they even still help you, Braden, at the moment? Do they do they help with any parts or anything like that? Does Dave and Bart? Oh, I still do yeah. a bit of stuff with them. Not as much anymore because sort of we're 200 k's down the road sort of thing now, whereas yeah. in the old days I'd be up at Bart's mm. dad's place four or five times a week, you know, the amount of all-nighters that Bart's dad's done for me to get to the track the next day is just I could never repay him for the yeah. for the hours that he spent on my cars to weld stuff up or manufacture something overnight so we'd get to the track either the next day or the next week. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a bit like a mad scientist, though. You go into the back of part of his – I wanted to do a video there one day of, of the Moore factory. Yeah. But not many people know there. There's drawings. There's all these all these amazing engineering ideas, and there's not many around these days. A bit like artists because Brooks an artist. Yeah. You literally fine draw 
parts of the car and he designs them and then just and just makes them yep. from scratch. Yep. And he'd, he'd help you with your supercars and whatnot, would he? Oh, yeah, he'd make our axles and everything. He'd machine them up out of a lump of steel. Mm. He'd make pedal boxes, um, rear hubs, front hubs, mm. you name it, pretty much he's made it. Wheels that have smashed to pieces, he'd weld them up. Mm. Uh, magnesium upright that was absolutely smashed into about 50 pieces. Mm. Um, I couldn't afford a new one. David... Um, he welded up, he cut up some old wheels and bits and pieces of wheels and welded into the upright to fix it. Lots yeah. of things that, that he could do that you would never believe would you'd be able to fix. Yeah, right. Yeah. And did he, did Bart actually help you, Braden, at all with your driver coaching and whatnot? Yeah, he's um, he's helped me a little bit with some bits and pieces. Um, he, we used to, or you used to employ him to do our V8 supercar drive um, thing at Maroolan mm-hmm. and I learned a lot from him there and um, yeah we're, we're, we're pretty good friends yeah yeah I, obviously he coaches and runs my team now he yeah. kind of picks up things doesn't he and just goes yeah he's just on the he's on the ball like he's his old man yeah he's <laughs> very smart he's very smart sixth sense yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah he knows when something's gonna happen before it happens yeah yeah, yeah. it's funny he said that because one time yeah. in the Formula Ford because I got a new car, I was like, something doesn't feel right. I think it's the back. And sure enough, for learning with him, I've learned to stay on the ball because he yep. keeps a note like like Dave yeah. of when something happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did he help you with that with Marulan though, like running the, the coaching days and stuff or not really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, Bart did a lot of stuff for us down there. Yeah. Heaps of stuff, yeah. Yeah. And did obviously Braden, did he help you? He did S5000 himself. Did he give you he any did. tips on that or not really? He gave me a few tips. Um, basically don't do what he did at that yeah. at, uh, at <laughs> Phillip Island, but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, he was he was pretty good with that as well mm. in helping me because I'd never driven a rear engine, rear wheel drive car before and an open wheeler. Mm. And yeah, he, he gave me a few pointers with that. Yeah. 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 And I've got to ask Gary, which Brooke and I were talking off air before, which is pretty an, a pretty obvious thing maybe to many, but maybe not to some, but Gary, what was your favorite moment as a racing driver? Was it at Bathurst when you missed the podium or was it another time? Do you have any Pacific like memories that will always stick in your mind? Was it was the Bathurst one that you've said in the media plenty of times, I wish I should have done that, you know? When you oh, had yeah, a, when yeah. you had a bit of a biff in or not a biff, a bit of an argument in the pits. Yeah, no, I I I really regret that I didn't go up onto the podium when I had the opportunity to. The only opportunity I ever had to get on the podium at Bathurst and I missed it basically for stupidity, but, mm. you know, that happens in life. Yeah. Can you tell that story? Yeah, well, I drove the last full stint of the race in the pouring rain mm. and because it was raining, the pit crew decided that they weren't going to show me any boards or anything. Mm. And I, I wanted lap times. I wanted to know where I was mm. in the, you know, I, I like to know. We had no radio mm. and I just... I'm out there driving around in the pouring rain at Bathurst and trying to work out where I was running in the field. It was the hardest Bathurst I'd ever done because when those Texaco Sierras pass you down the straight mm. in that little um, Toyota Sprinter, mm. you would move like a metre and a half one way and then get sucked back a metre and a half the other way. Yeah. So it was the scariest Bathurst I've ever done. Mm. Um even though it was the slowest car I'd ever driven there, mm. it was still, you know, it was just so hard to know where you were. And then when I come in, oh, yeah, you've won the class, rah, 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 and that's 
yeah, but what happened to you guys? Where did you just all go home? Mm. Um, yeah. No lap boards, no nothing. I still wanted to know what times I was doing because I didn't know what I should have been doing in the wet. Yeah, yeah. But you just you just like to have that little bit of a guide. Mm. So I had a big fight with him and had a sook and didn't go up on the on <laughs> did, the um on the podium on the podium. Did you ever get your trophy from that event or not? Yeah, yeah. I got my trophy. Yeah, it's yeah. in the lounge room at home. I love oh, it. Good. I thought yeah. you just left without getting your trophy. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I got my trophy. No, no, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Yeah, yeah. What about for you, Braden? What's your what's your most memorable moment as a driver? Um, so far, probably was my stint in America in 2018. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that was the sort of the most fun I've had racing cars, and something that I've just wanted to go back and do ever since. Mm. I went over there and ran five races in a non-wing sprint car and a midget in yep. June, uh, July of 2018. Mm. And then we come back home and then we went over for the inaugural BC39 race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And I went and ran that. And even though it was a terrible night, it was just everything that could go wrong went wrong. We basically travelled um, halfway around the world to get rained out. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was it was still a really, really good night and met a lot of people there and, and yeah, had some pretty good results, but um, just not good enough... It, we probably would have been in like a C or a D main, but mm. because there was a lot of weather earlier that day um, and it was like 1 o'clock in the morning when we finished the qualifier races, uh, they were just like, no, nah, we're just going straight to feature races. And I was like, well, that's that's a bit fun, isn't it? <laughs> so we missed out on making a run through the alphabet. But yeah. other than that, yeah, it was, yeah, I think definitely my most, well, my favourite parts of racing so far has been going over there because in the July stint I had some race wins and finished fifth in my first ever non-wing sprint car race over there and um, ran fourth the next time I ran and, yeah, had had some very good results that, yeah, I just mm. really want to get back there and do that again. Yeah, right, cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, before I get to the last part of the podcast, I just want to ask you two simple questions. Yep. Um, Gary, why did you why did you run number forty one for so many years? Was that was that a, was that just a random number that you went, oh fuck it, I'll just run that, or was it was there any meaning behind it? Or not really. No, no. Always like number eight's always been my favourite number. Okay. Um, but then sometimes I'd say, well, you know, four and four is eight, and then mm. one is one because it's number one, you know, and all I'd have all different meanings for why I'd run numbers, but ultimately I always liked to have number mm. eight. That was sort of my favourite number to race with. Yeah, right. And is that what, what – how did the number 89 come about? i got to ask this for Braden. I wanted to go with a low number. Mm. He said don't do that because – you'll never get it every time you go and race something. Um, you, you won't be able to get a low number. Mm-hmm. So then I said, well, what about 98? And then he also said, well, you're racing against people that are mainly um, born in those years, so <laughs> it's probably going to be taken. So I ended up changing the numbers around and going to 89, and yeah, okay. I've stuck with it ever since. I've always, yeah, since then I've, I've loved that number, and, um, yeah, I'll try and try and run it for the rest of my career. Yeah, cool. Cool. Well, to end this podcast, boys, I don't know if you've heard a few of the other podcasts, but I have a, a game at the end of the end of the podcast. It is a quiz show. Now, Brooke, um, we've got a legend of the sport and a junior legend of the sport here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
these boys, you've got a boys, you've got to ask actually technically six questions. So it's the well, fast so the six. six. The six one's the bonus one we've got this time. It's the fast five. So we've got a bonus one we threw in because we just, you know, came across an extra one there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But if you can get all six correct or four out of six correct, you get a good prize. If you get zero out of six, you get a shit prize. And trust me, I've got <laughs> some weird prizes underneath the table. <laughs> all right. It's, a, it's an easy, it should be an easy game between the both of you because you're absolutely motorsports obsessed. Yep. Um, so anyone can answer these six questions. The first one in the fast five slash six is Gary. You might be able to answer this one. Where was the Bathurst? Where was Bathurst legend Larry Perkins born? Uh, Ka- Ka- was Ka- Ka- Kauangi. Kauangi, yeah. Kauangi, yeah. Yeah. Or um, oh, Woolies Farm is it? Kauangi Ka- no, or whatever uh, it is down on the yeah. way to bloody South Australia. Down in the we go past it every time we go to. Um, Murray Bridge. Yeah, right. Oh, it says Ooh. on the – oh, Jesus. Well, you, got, you got half a name in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it said on the internet, Murrayville, Victoria. Yeah, so it's oh. basically like yeah. not is it near, is it near South? Is it near South Australia or something? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. All we right. went you through know, it the other day. You know yeah. what? I think, gonna... I think you drove us all there, so yeah. just in that answer, so I think you get that one. <laughs> you get that one. You will get that one. Yeah. All right. Here's one for Braden mainly, all right, because you've raced S5000. Who was the last back-to-back Gold Star champion? Um, back-to-back. It's mm, a tough one. Will you be able to get this one? They weren't Before on the Before Jamie it, Mawson. It wasn't Tim Macro? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Okay. You got one more go. I'll give you one more go. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll give you a hint. He raced supercars in the early 2000s. Uh yeah, I th- I know um, Simon Wills. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Very well done. That's too correct. We'll give you that one. We'll get, we'll get the Murrayville. That actually, the first one I can't complain with because, Gary, you race Larry yourself. So. Yeah. <laughs> A lot, yeah. yeah. I had some fights with him too, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last, the, the, the third question is, who holds the outla- outright lap record around the V8 supercar layout of the Adelaide Parklands circuit. So the supercar layout of the Adelaide Parklands Parkland circuit, of the supercar layout, yep. not the Afon circuit, who who do you reckon owns the outright, outright lap record? Uh, is it recent? Like, oh, it's, yeah, it's reasonably recent. Yep, it'd probably be mid-2000s again. Actually, no, late 2000s. There you go, like 2010s onwards. And he helped... And I'll give you another hint. He helped engineer a champion recently. Jason Bright? No. 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 Do you want to know? Yeah. Simon Hodge. Aha. Uh-huh. Bonus question for that is, what what team does Hodgey work for now? BRM. No. No? Works for Triple Eight Racing. That's two questions. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that was the six. Yeah. So, okay. That's, that's not six. That's only No, no, no. That's yeah. four. Sorry, that's four. So two out of four. But that's okay. Two questions You've got left. two questions to go. Yep. All right. Which, this is this is Brooke, who's done some research here. <laughs> Brooke, you can throw in number five. All right. Which car manufacturer was banned from participating in the Australian Supercar Championship in the early 1990s? <laughs> Gary's going to think hard in this one. <laughs> he knows it. It's in the back of his mind here. In the early 1990s, mm. which supercar brand? Which yeah. car manufacturer was banned, yeah, from participating in the supercar championship? Who <laughs> got the boot? Yeah, who got the boot? 
And they kicked up a stink ever since. Like they haven't come back. Oh, they actually, they did come back recently. Then they disappeared again. Not Nissan. Yeah. Yep, that's them. Yeah. Nissan. There we go. There yeah. we go. Well, of course, right. of all the controversy over the Group A Nissan Skyline and stuff. Yeah. Do you remember that time, Gary? Oh, I remember it well. <laughs> <laughs> you go on to it. You can tell us about it, actually. Yeah. Yeah, what happened yeah. back then, though? Oh, well, the Skyline was just, again, like the Mazda Rotary, it just outclassed everything else. It was four-wheel drive. It had heaps of grunt. Mm. And had Freddie Gibbo and co, you know, like the some of the best in the world engineering it. Mm. And it was just an absolute rocket. It was unbeatable. Yeah. No one could touch it. No. 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 Freddie Gibson was a, he he was the two he was the triple eight racing back then, wasn't he? No, no. No, Freddie Gibson was he that was he the main team back then, Freddie Gibson Racing, or not really? Uh, well, in the 1990s? No, Gibson Freddie Gibson was the Gibson Racing and he's mm. a guru. He was smart, you know. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah. Very smart operator. Yeah. Very smart operator. Yeah. Who was his team in the nineteen nineties, do you remember or not? Was it yeah, Scaife and um, Scaifey. Yeah, and Jim Richards. Yeah, and yeah, Scaifey and Richards, and then he started that other team up with Craig Lowndes with the Green Eyed Monster Car later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The AU. Yeah, yeah. Well, that comes to question lucky number six. Yeah. All right. Which team did Craig Lowndes drive for in the year two thousand before switching camps to Ford? Which team did he drive for before switching to the Green Eyed Monster? Racing team. There we yeah, go. There we go. A nice easy one there. So, yeah. well, let's yeah. let's let's mark up these questions. There's only got, like two that they got out of the six. Yeah, so I, I think they're good prizes. They're, is it a good prize? Yes, yes, yes. Right. You have some tough questions in there. All right, let me All find right. let me find something for you. Hooley's behind his desk, everyone. Squirreling away. Trying to <laughs> you know what? I'll give uh, you some. He's got the roses the chocolates. Roses chocolates. Uh-huh. Blast from the past. There you go. That should, <laughs> that should feed your family. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Yeah. No worries. Yeah. Boys, I really appreciate you coming on. It was very hard to try and learn both of you at the same time, but I kind of got there in the end, and I would love to maybe do eventually like a round table or have you on another podcast in further seasons. Yeah. Yeah? yeah, yeah sounds no, good. That would be, be good. Cheers. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having us on. It was, yeah, cool to come up here and – yeah, I've my first podcast. I've been a long time listener of podcasts. I always listen to Open Red and um, Rip the Fence, the old USAC one, and mm. um, Dinner with Races. Those yep. sorts of those sorts of ones. But yeah, no, it's cool to cool to be on one now. Cool. Thanks, Braden. Thank thanks yeah. for coming on, Gary. By the yeah. way, I really appreciate it because I got to see Dave more next week. So yeah, I'll make sure I'll make sure I tell you, you dropped in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I haven't seen him for a while now. I haven't seen him since. Basically, God, I haven't been up there now for must be it's over a year. The last time you had to go up there, you sent me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It sounds like the Dave Moore workshop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, cheers. It's, it's, it's been a while now. I just haven't had a chance to get up there. Yeah, cheers. But I love going up there. Yeah. Talking to Dave, sit down and have a cup of coffee up there. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it never changes. All right. Uh-huh. Cheers, boys. Thanks Thank for coming. You. On. No yeah. problem. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of On the Couch with Hooli. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. And to help us grow, please leave a rating or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. For extra content, check out our YouTube and social channels. You can find all the links in the show notes. See you next week.